Andrew Womack Ministries presents this session from the 2014 Dallas Gospel Truth Rally. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen. Let's turn over to Galatians chapter 1. And let me just share that uh, it was just 10 days ago, March the, I mean, uh, November the 4th, that the Lord woke me up at 3.30 in the morning. And I mean, out of a dead sleep, I just sat up and the Lord spoke to me and He said, I've raised you up to change people's opinion of me. And then He says, as their opinion of me changes, their life will be changed and then they will go and change the world. And you know, that is just pretty simple right there. That's just basically what the job of any minister is, is to represent God properly. And sad to say, and I don't say this with any joy saying this, but I think that most ministers do not accurately represent God. They may desire to, but most people are preaching the traditions and doctrines of men and I talked to a number of people here tonight that have been in church for 20 and 30 years and have never heard the real simple basic things that I'm teaching. And that's just a shame to go to church your whole life and never hear about the grace and the goodness of God. And it's in short supply. And I believe that God's been misrepresented. You know, a friend of mine, he went to Russia and he's a real animated guy. He just screams and yells and... You know, I'm real bland, but, but this guy just, you know, really excited. And so he would get up and he'd go, praise the Lord. And the interpreter would go, Slava Bogo. <laughs> and he'd go, praise the Lord. And the interpreter, Slava Bogo. And uh, so finally he looked over at this interpreter and he says, hey, you aren't interpreting for yourself. You're interpreting for me. You say it like I say it. You do what I do. And as soon as he spoke that, the Lord spoke to him and he says, that's the way I feel about you. <laughs> and you know what? We are not supposed to be representing ourselves. We're supposed to be representing God. And yet many people just preach their own things. And I'm not trying to blast people. Many times it's out of ignorance, but nonetheless, I believe that it's misrepresenting God. God has been slandered. God has been misrepresented. And because of that, people don't know how good God is. If people knew how good God was, you would not have to coerce them and twist their arms, manipulate them, threaten them, and do things to get them to serve God. I tell you, the Lord is just, He has not been accurately represented. I'm not claiming that I accurately represent Him 100%, but I really believe that even though I hadn't arrived, I've left, amen. I believe I'm moving in the right direction and God has shown me things about Him that has just transformed my life. And uh, last night I ministered along these same lines talking about the difference between the Old Testament law and the New Testament grace. Man, that's a biggie. The Old Testament law has been misinterpreted and because of that people think God is this harsh, mean, angry God. They don't make a distinction between the way it was done in the Old Covenant and this New Covenant that we're under. Uh, that's a big deal. I could go back and preach that. But what I want to share tonight specifically is talk, I think that the worst doctrine in the body of Christ that has misrepresented God, and let me just warn you, put on your seatbelt. 
Many of you will be offended by this. I don't mean to offend, but I can't, I can't uh, you know, bypass this. I really believe this is the worst doctrine in the body of Christ is a teaching on the sovereignty of God. Now, I'm not against you saying God is sovereign if you use sovereign the way the dictionary defines sovereign. The word sovereign by the dictionary means first in rank, order, or authority. That, you know, the head of state or something like that. And if you want to say that God is first in rank, order, and authority, if you want to say that God is supreme and almighty, I agree with that 1,000%. But religion has come up with another definition for uh, uh, sovereignty. And when they say sovereign, it means that God controls everything. Nothing happens but what it is God's will. And I agree, disagree with that 100%. That is not true. And if you believe that, it does a number of things. One of them is James chapter 4, verse 7 says, Submit yourselves therefore unto God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Did you know that that very passage of Scripture kills the sovereignty of God as religion teaches it? Again, if you use sovereignty in a correct way, I'm not against that, but... Religion teaches that God controls everything, good, bad, whatever. It all comes from God. If you really believe that, well, then why do you submit to that which is of God and resist the devil? Because technically, even the devil would have to be God's messenger. He would have to be used of God. I've actually heard it taught that he's on a leash. He's like a dog on a leash. And he can only go so far. He can only go so far as God allows him. If the devil is the one who's fighting you, then ultimately God's responsible for it. That's what people teach when they get into the extreme sovereignty of God. I knew a pastor one time that had a demon type thing. And he, he said that when he would stand up and preach that he had lust on the inside of him. It was so bad that in his mind, he would just undress women that he was preaching to. And he would think these terrible, terrible thoughts and he finally confessed it to his wife. And uh, anyway, they were gonna, he was going to go get deliverance. This guy was in Boulder, Colorado. And he was going to go get deliverance for this. And as he was going to an appointment, he put his hand on the car door and he said that the Lord spoke to him and he said, aren't I sovereign? And he said, yes. And he said, you couldn't have this problem if I didn't allow it. I'm teaching you something through this. And this man canceled his appointment and went back in and said, God gave him this demon. God's the one that caused this lust. He was teaching him something through that. And I know most people think, that's not true. How, you know, you just think, well, no, that's not true. It doesn't go that far. Well, either it's true or it isn't true. Either he controls everything or he doesn't control everything. You can't have it both ways. I've taught on this before and I've had people get so mad at me that they come up and say, that's of the devil. This is of the devil. How dare you say this? And I just turn their own theology around on them and say, I couldn't say it if it wasn't God's will for me to say it. <laughs> if you really believe God's sovereign, then it must be God that's having me say this. And they'll say, no, no. I mean, is it that he controls everything or doesn't he control everything? I saw a program on television where the, uh, a man interviewed this woman who the woman and her daughter had been abducted and raped and taken to a remote area and he made them lay down on their face and he shot them both in the head. 
and the daughter died, the woman lived through it, and she was on this program, and, and she said that she had come to grips with it, that all things work together for good, that God caused this, and that it was God's will, and God was getting glory out of it. And she blamed God for abduction, rape, and murder. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, that is not true. And if you believe that, well, then why resist the devil? Because the devil couldn't do anything if it wasn't God's will. That's not true. And what it does, James 4, 7 again says, you have to resist the devil and he will flee from you. If you have had religious teaching represent that whatever happens to you is God's will, then it makes you passive. How can you resist something? The word resist means to actively fight against. How can you really actively fight against something if God is the author of it? If God's the author of it, then you would be resisting God. So this whole verse about resist the devil makes no sense. And if it is as it appears that you have to resist and fight against the devil and he will flee from you, not from God, but from you. It's God's power in you. It's not your own power. It's God's power, but it's in you and you have to activate it by resisting and fighting against the devil. If that's true, well then your passivity caused by this wrong teaching on the sovereignty of God just makes you to a place to where Satan will never flee from you. He will just eat your lunch and pop the bag because you are passive. You have to resist the devil. You know, right now I feel like, I feel like I've only got time to remove a splinter and yet we need major surgery. This is deep. I know that there's a million questions going through people's head. I can't answer all of them tonight. But I, I tell you, this, this is terrible. I've seen, I've seen bad things happen in my own life. I've seen people die because they were taught that if you want to mature, they, this is a misapplication of James chapter 1. If you want patience, then God is going to give you problems because tribulation worketh patience. Tribulation is not where patience comes from. The Bible says in Romans chapter 15, verse 4, that you through patience and comfort of the Scriptures have hope. It also says patience is a fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. Patience doesn't come through problems. If patience came through problems, we would all be perfected by now. Amen. <laughs> the people who suffer the most would be the most holy. Patience doesn't come through problems. It is true that if you have patience because of Scripture, if God has been speaking to you, if the Holy Spirit's been working on your heart, then when you come into hardship and you use your faith, you will be better off because of it. I don't disagree with that, but patience doesn't come from problems like people teach. If that was true, well, then why don't we just have everybody come up here and let's pray for you and give you cancer. Let's give you problems so that you can really be mature. You can't find Jesus ever doing something like that. It says in Acts chapter 10, have you found Galatians chapter 1 yet? I may never get to that verse I was headed towards. But 
It says in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, how that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with power and with the Holy Ghost who went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil. It is good to heal. And yet the church has somehow or another said, this sickness is really a blessing. This cancer is a blessing. This being a quadriplegic is a blessing. It's not a blessing. It's Satan coming to steal, kill, and destroy. Somebody says, but somebody just turned to the Lord. I'm not going to mention names, but there's, there's a person that had a tragic accident and is a quadriplegic and is a minister and reaches lots of people and tells people that God did this to them to make them better, that they were going their own way and now they're serving the Lord and they really do glorify the Lord and they give God credit and good has come out of it. I don't disagree with that, but it's wrong to say that God did it to us. You know, let me give you this example. My oldest son, Joshua, when he was just one year old, I was over here in Seagaville, Texas, and I was loading lumber, and it was in the summer, and it was really, really hot. And I was loading lumber on this big old uh, huge truck, you know, that had a cab that the window of the cab was over six foot tall. And my son was only one year old, and he was running around, and he was playing. It was dirt. It didn't have pavement, and he was playing in the dirt, and uh, anyway, it came nap time for him. It was really hot. He was all sweaty and he got sleepy and he started to lay down in the dirt, you know, with sweat on him. And I knew he'd get just filthy dirty. And so he'd been wanting to get into the cab of this truck all day long. And I wouldn't let him because uh, it was hot. Had to roll the windows down. He could have fallen out. And so I wouldn't let him. Finally, when it got time for him to go to sleep, I, I put him in the cab of the truck and I said, all right, you can get in here, but you lay down and go to sleep. Well, he didn't obey me. He got up and started leaning out the window and looking at the rear view, side view mirror and waving at me. And I had to tell him a couple of times to lay down. I even spanked him and told him, I said, now you lay down, you can get hurt. And he just kept disobeying me. And he finally leaned so far out of that truck that he fell out of that truck. One year old, hit his eye on the running board and landed right on top of his head on that ground, and I mean, he could have broken his neck. He could have done some serious damage. Well, when he did this, man, he started crying. I went up and grabbed him, and I hugged him and, and waited until he quit crying. And then after he quit crying, I said, Joshua, this is what I was telling you. If you would have obeyed me, you would not have had this happen. Now you obey me. And I put him back in the cab of that truck and told him to go to sleep, and he laid down and went to sleep. He learned something through it. He became obedient. But if he would have been like most Christians, he would have gone out and told all his friends, he says, my dad is such a wonderful dad that he pushed me out of the cab of that truck and I've got a black eye and I landed on my head and I could have broken my neck and it was all to teach me to be obedient. That's not true. I did everything I could to keep him from having that experience, but when he did it because of his own self-will and he got in trouble and now I had his attention, he learned something through it and he was better off for it. But it's wrong to blame me for him doing that. I tried to restrain him. Likewise, we can learn through our problems. You can go beat your head against this wall and figure out that's not good. 
You can get a headache. You could cut yourself. You could do some things. Or you could just listen to me and I'll tell you, don't do it, amen. <laughs> could you learn something by running, butting your head into the wall? Absolutely, but are, are you gonna blame somebody else for you doing that? God's not the one who causes the problems in our life. Mark chapter four, the thief comes. Well, excuse me, that's John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and to destroy. But I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. If it's life, it's God. If it's stealing, killing, and destroying, it's the devil. And you have to resist the devil. But with this doctrine, people have been lulled into a place of everything is from God. Even the bad things are from God. And it makes us embrace it. And I tell you, brothers and sisters, that's a recipe for disaster. I had a person that I brought back, a teacher. I used to be in this teaching real strong. So if I'm stepping on somebody's toes, uh, I've been on the other side. I believe this to the point that I've seen people die because of this. I brought back a teaching that was entitled, Satan is God's Messenger Boy. And this guy taught this and he gave an example of a person who was introverted and not really strong in witnessing. And so they prayed and said, God, I'll do anything. Use me, do whatever it takes. If you have to give me a cancer, if you have to kill me, I want to witness for you. And they prayed that prayer. And this preacher went on to talk about that that person came down with leukemia and then uh, because they were a Christian and because they didn't operate in fear and they kept operating in, uh, you know, loving God and giving a good testimony that at this person's funeral, four people got saved. And that that was how God does things and God may kill you to be able to get glory out of you. And I didn't know any better. And so I brought that, this was reel to reel tape at that time back in the uh, 60s. And I brought that tape back and gave it to a person. They listened to it and they prayed that exact same prayer and the next day came down with leukemia. And I was with them when they died, hemorrhaged and bled to death. And we stood and prayed for them to be raised from the dead for hours and it didn't happen. And you know what? They loved God. And guess what? At their funeral, four people were born again. And there was good that came out of it. Can God use stuff like that? Yes, God can use it. But I'm telling you, God did not kill those people. Satan is the one that takes advantage of things like that. And it'll, it'll destroy you. When my wife and I got married, I was still under this teaching. And I was pouring concrete for a living. And anyway, I, I had to go for my physical to get a blood test before the, I got married. And anyway, it turned out I had uh, yellow jaundice. And yellow jaundice isn't life-threatening unless you just continue to do things. The antidote for it is total bed rest. You had to lay flat on your back for like six weeks or something. And I wasn't about to do that. And so, you know, and anyway, I've got way off the subject. Well, it's not off the subject, but I got way off my scriptures. But anyway, let me real quickly just say that I, over here in Arlington, Texas, I had two dreams. And in these dreams, it was, it's a long story, but it was demonic. Satan attacked me. And I mean, physically, uh, I woke up and I was bleeding. 
uh, I had a dream that somebody was punching me in the face and I woke up thinking, well, it's only a dream. Went in the bathroom and I was physically bleeding and I had demonic things and it was so bad, it caused so much fear on the inside of me that I resisted these things and rebuked it and said, that's of the devil. And then I went to Nacogdoches down here. I, was, I lived in Arlington. I went to Nacogdoches, Texas. I was in a Dairy Queen and a woman I had never seen in my life walked up to me after I'd had these two dreams and I'd rebuked them and said this was the devil. And she walked up to me in a Dairy Queen and she says, God speaks once, yea, twice, in dreams and visions of the night when deep sleep falleth on people. And that was a quotation from uh, Job. I forgot what chapter. And she says, you thought those dreams were from the devil. They're from God. Man, all the hair on the back of my neck stood up like, oh no. And she says, those dreams were from God. And so I began to think, oh no, God is going to do something terrible to me. Something bad's going to happen. And then that's, uh, I went and this guy who preached that message about Satan being God's messenger boy, he came to my church over in Garland and he preached a similar message that God is going to break you. God's going to put things on you, etc. And I was responding to it. I was receiving it, thinking that it was God. And then I went and got this physical, found out I had yellow jaundice. They said you could get over it if you lay flat of your back, but I wasn't going to do that. And they said if you don't, you could go into a coma. You could die through this. And this preacher at my church started prophesying over me that you're going to go into a coma for eight years and you're going to be in a coma. And all of these things, the dreams, this woman's prophecy, the yellow jaundice, this prophecy from this guy that I was going to be a, a human vegetable for eight years and that God was going to break me and I was going to come out and I was going to be the Apostle Paul <laughs> after those eight years. He was prophesying all this stuff over me. You know, let me just, I, I think uh, I'll skip out of Galatians chapter 1. Look at Romans chapter 12. <laughs> These are the verses that God used to change my life. March the 23rd, 1968. And it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Boy, that verse transform my life. And on March the 23rd, 1968 at University Baptist Church in Arlington, Texas, I had an encounter with God and God showed up and to the best of my ability, I made myself a living sacrifice. I was willing to do anything, go anywhere. Within a month of this, he told me to quit school and that meant an automatic all expense paid trip to Vietnam. And yet, I didn't care because that's what God told me to do. And if, if I got killed, that's fine. I didn't care. I was literally a living sacrifice, willing to let God do whatever in my life. And I meant that. But verse 2 says, And don't be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And these two verses go together. If you become a living sacrifice and if you are willing to serve God, go anywhere. If He tells you anything, do whatever. That's good, but by itself, without the balance of verse 2, it's a recipe for absolute disaster. 
And see, this is exactly where I was. I had made the commitment to be a living sacrifice. I was willing to die. And if God was going to do something terrible to me, like all of these circumstances and the prophecy and the preacher was presenting, I was willing to die. I was willing to do whatever. I was willing to be a, a vegetable for eight years, if that's what God wanted for me, because I had made this decision to be a living sacrifice. But verse 2 talks about renewing your mind by the Word of God. And a person who is committed to God but is ignorant of the Word of God. Speci there's a lot of things, but specifically this truth that God does not cause and control everything that happens to you. If you're ignorant of that, then it makes you just susceptible to the devil. And that's exactly where I was. And I remember that right, this is just a few days before Jamie and I were going to get married. We were out to eat with this preacher who was holding this meeting at our church and the pastor and about 15 people and we were all sitting at this big table and I was sitting across from him and he was just letting me have it. You are going to be in a coma for eight years. You are going to be broken. God is going to do these things to you. And I was just sitting there. God, if that's your will, I'll receive it. And I was yielding to it. I was sitting there crying thinking, God, I don't know why you would do this, but I'll receive it. And I was just soaking this up and receiving it. And this preacher, you know, the devil is so dumb. If he had stopped right there, he'd have had me. But this guy saw that he had me on the ropes and he thought, man, this is it. And so he just kept talking and he says, and you know, the worst part of all of it is that for eight years, God will not let me read the Bible. God has put me on a fast from the Word of God and told me that I couldn't study the Word. He was a preacher and he said, the only time I ever open the Bible is to preach, but God doesn't want me to study the Word. Now, I didn't know much, but when somebody said that, I, I just remember I was crying, you know, about what God was going to do to me. When he said that, boy, I stopped and I looked at him and I said, that's not God. I said, I don't know a lot, but I know God would never tell me. It says you're supposed to meditate in the Word day and night, that your Word is like Word. I mean, it's like food to me and on and on and on. He sent His Word and healed them. And I said, that's not right. I said, that's of the devil. And I stood up in front of this preacher and I said, I rebuke you. I rebuke everything you're saying. I reject this stuff. And I went to resisting the devil and I got up and walked out and walked out of that church, took my wife with me, and we walked out and didn't let the door hit us on the way out. <laughs> and you know, if I hadn't have done that, I, I don't know exactly what would have happened, but I believe that Satan was setting me up for some kind of a tragic thing that could have taken my life, could have taken me out because of a wrong teaching that everything that happens comes from God. And I don't care if you have dreams and I don't care if somebody you've never seen before comes up and reads your mail and prophesies something to you. But if they tell you something contrary to the Word of God, it's wrong. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, God is not the one who's causing problems in your life. The Lord's plans for you are good, not bad. Can you learn something from bad things? Absolutely. But you could also learn it through the Word of God. Look over here in 2 um, Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. 
says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. The word of God is how God corrects you, gives you instruction, doctrine. This is how he changes you, chastises you, is with the word of God. And it says it will make you perfect. The word perfect means perfect. It means that you don't need plan B or plan C. There's people that teach you can't mature. You can't really become the person that you're supposed to be unless you suffer and unless you go through all of these kind of things. They will quote Hebrews chapter 2 where it talks about that Jesus learned. Even though he was a son, he learned through suffering. Well, that's absolutely true. But you know what? He also bore my sin and he was crucified. I don't have to do those things. He did it for me. <laughs> Amen. You are not meant to go through suffering. God is not the source of your problem. And if you believe that he is, you know, here's just some real impeccable logic on my part. If you believe that God is the one who's given you this sickness, then why are you going to the doctor and taking medicine trying to get out of God's will? If God made you sick, why are you resisting it? If God's the source of it, well then why don't you let it run its course? Don't take any painkillers, don't take any medicine, don't go to the doctor, let you, learn your lesson. If God's the one who's made you poor, if he's trying to break you, why are you resisting? Why do you go take a loan and try and break God's will over your life? If God wants you to suffer, why are you trying to get out of it? Why are you praying for deliverance from it? On and on you could go. This is just illogical. Let me just say this in love. I know that I'm really stepping on some people's toes. But I'm saying this in love. I'm telling you the truth. This isn't the easiest thing for me to say because I don't have time to give all of the explanation. But I'm saying this because I love you. But brothers and sisters, if God wanted to do all of this stuff to you, it just destroys your image of God. It hurts your relationship. One of the reasons that this doctrine is so prevalent is because the scripture I was headed for in Galatians chapter 1 verse 4 is it says Jesus gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world. Not the one to come, but this present evil world. So much of Christianity is all in the sweet by and by. When we all get to heaven, what a day that's going to be but they don't preach victory right here in this life. This says he gave himself to deliver us from this present evil world. In Matthew chapter six, he told us to pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven, there isn't any sickness. There's not any pain. There's not any disease. There's no more sorrow. There's no more crying. And we were told to pray that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I could go to a million other scriptures that talk about, you know, he always makes us triumph in Christ Jesus. And we are, you know, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. You are of God and you've overcome him. And I could just quote lots of scriptures. There's many scriptures that talk about absolute, total victory. But I can guarantee you, you are not going to always experience victory. 
you are going to have hardship. Not because God wills it, but because we live in a fallen world and none of us are perfect. And I know that this is hard for some people to handle. Some people just can't take the thought that they are responsible for some of the problems that they've got. It's, they just can't handle it. They get so condemned. And so it's easier just to blame God and push the responsibility over on Him instead of saying that you're the problem. You know, I prayed with a man tonight. This man's a partner of mine. He brought this up. He humbled himself. I'm not saying this to be critical of him. He said it about himself. But he's trying to quit smoking. And he says he's been doing it for so long. He's quit alcohol. He's quit all kinds of things. But he just can't quit smoking. And I was talking to him about it. I said, you know what? You are damaging yourself. And someday, if something doesn't change, you're going to have heart problems. You're going to have uh, lung problems. You're going to have these things. And then you're going to be praying for God to heal you every time you smoke. You're just canceling your own prayer. I said, you can't do stuff like that. I said, if you, if you want God to heal you, you got to at least cooperate a little bit. You can't just be smoking a cancer stick that science says every time you take a cigarette, you're taking seven minutes off of your life for every cigarette that you smoke, and then you're praying for God to extend your life as you take away your life. And there's people that just won't accept. No, I, I don't believe that. The truth is, you can do things that will shorten your life. And it's not God that shortened your life. You did it. And you have to accept responsibility. But there's some people that just can't... I can't believe that these problems are caused by me. You're getting a divorce. And oh God, why did you do this? God didn't have a thing to do with it. You're just as mean as a snake. Amen. <laughs> You're unlovable. And most people can't handle that. And so it's just so much easier. Well, God works in mysterious ways. God must have a purpose. Further along, we'll know all about it. Further along, we'll understand why. And one reason people grab hold and come up with this doctrine is because they can't stand the truth that, you know what, maybe I missed it. I prayed with another man tonight. Again, I'm not saying any of these things to be critical of anybody. But a guy came up and he says, I got a retina problem over here. He had heard me mention that I'd seen people's retina healed. And he says, I want you to pray for me. And he says, but you know, I'm getting old. I guess this is just the way it is. <laughs> Was that you? That was, I remember praying with you, but that was something different. Anyway, I'm not against anybody. I'm just telling you. I said, well, I'll, I will pray with you, but I said, first of all, you need to get rid of this thinking that because you get older, you got to fall apart like a $2 suitcase. I said, that's not true. Moses was 120 years old and his natural force was not abated nor his eyesight dimmed. Deuteronomy 34. You do not have to just get old and quit, lose your hearing and lose your sight and have your chest drop down into your drawers. That's a Chester drawers disease. Amen. Or get the Dunlop disease where your belly's Dunlopped over your belt buckle. You know what? You don't have to do that stuff because you're getting on. I'm not condemning anybody. I'm overweight. A little bit of sin's not better than a lot of sin. I'm just saying that don't blame God and say, well, I'm getting older. God did this to me. No, no, no. God's not even responsible for death. It says in Hebrews chapter 2 that Satan 
was the one who had the power of death. Jesus gave himself to destroy him who had the power of death. That is the devil. God told us not to eat of the fruit. In the day we eat thereof, we would surely die. We brought death into this life. And yet I've heard so many people say that when, you know, a person dies, well, their number was up. Yeah. <laughs> Must have been their time. They just assume that you can't die unless it's God's will. That is not true. You put a gun to your head and pull the trigger and you can die. We could kill every person in here right now. And that's not because it's God's will for all of us to be dead right now. You can control things. God doesn't control you like a chess piece. And that kind of logic is detrimental. It gives Satan free reign in your life because you have to resist him to have him flee from you. He doesn't flee from God. He flees from you. And if you aren't resisting him, Satan will destroy your life through your passivity. So you've got to quit blaming everything on God and you've got to take responsibility and recognize that if you are having trouble breathing and you're smoking, it's probably you that caused it. It's not God who gave you this lung disease to make you humble and to treat you and teach you something. I tell you, this is really simple. And let me just say that only a religious person would ever believe that. You go find an unbeliever, a person that hasn't been exposed to religion, and they will not blame God for somebody that goes in and kills 13 people in a school. But that happens, and the religious people will come up and say, well, God works in mysterious ways. We know God had a purpose. God doesn't have a purpose. I was speaking at a full gospel businessman thing one time, and a guy got a, he had just come, I was actually leading the praise and worship, and this other guy was the speaker. And he got up, and he had just come from a funeral of two young people that died in a car wreck. And he got up and used uh, Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good. We know that God did this and we don't know why, but God had a purpose and he was preaching that. Man, I got mad. Turned out that the two young people were drinking and doing drugs and driving fast and it was raining and they made a corner too fast and you know, the law of physics, inertia, a body in movement tends to stay in movement they violated the laws of nature. They couldn't make the curve. They hit a telephone pole. It killed both of them. Neither one of them were born again. And yet this preacher was saying that God had a purpose. All things work together for good. That's a lie. That is misrepresenting God. God did not cause them to drink, to do drugs, to go too fast and to die and go to hell. And that was not God's will. The Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It is not, you know, that's a great example right there. People say nothing can happen, but what is God's will? Well, he says it's God's will that no one perish, but that all come to repentance. And yet Jesus said that there's more that will die and go by the broad gate unto destruction than there will by the narrow gate unto everlasting life. Jesus right there says God's will does not automatically come to pass. It's not God's will for a single person to go to hell and yet people are going to hell every day because God does not control you and make you get saved or make you go to hell. It's your choice. 
And somebody says, well, that's different. No, it's either, either God controls things or he doesn't control things. It's one of the two, but it's not both. Let's turn over to Romans chapter 8. Now, let me just deal with this person. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. There's people that don't know any other scripture in the Bible that know this verse. This has been misused, misapplied in so many different ways. Romans chapter 8 and in verse 28, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. The way this is taught is that nothing happens but what it's God's will. All things work together for good. That's not what this says. This does not blame God for everything that happens. First of all, it starts with a conjunction. The word and is a conjunction. That means it links thoughts together. So this is a continuation of the previous verse, actually the previous two verses where it talks about that we don't know how to pray as we ought, but the Holy Spirit takes hold together with us. That's what the Greek word means where it says makes intercession for us. That word means to take hold together. Now that's important. I could spend an hour talking about that, but the Holy Spirit doesn't do it for you. When you start praying, then He joins together with you and energizes and empowers your prayer. But if you aren't praying, the Holy Spirit won't do it for you. He takes hold together with you and makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. And then it says, and we know. So the whole thing is dependent upon whether or not you are seeking God and praying and allowing the Holy Spirit to take hold together with you and energize your prayer. If you aren't doing that, if you aren't seeking the Lord, if you aren't cooperating with God, all things do not work together for good. This is talking to people who are operating in intercession, the Holy Spirit working together with them. It says all things work together for good to them who love God who are called according to His purpose. So here's two more things. It says to those who love God. This didn't say that all things work together for good for those that don't know God, for young people that aren't born again and that are doing drugs and drinking and speeding. It doesn't work together for good. And yet it's applied that way. I've heard it applied that way. This is not a carte blanche statement that just works that anything that happens is God. That's not true. And it's misrepresented God. And because of this, people just get crushed. Some people take comfort in it because rather than admit that maybe I made a mistake, maybe they made a mistake, rather than take any responsibility, it helps in the short term to just think, well, must have been God. And you just blame God for everything. But in the long term, I guarantee you, if you get your children dying, and if your husband dies, your wife dies, and tragedy happens, after a while you are going to go to resenting this God who's killing and destroying and maiming and doing all of these things. I'm not going to mention a name here, but there's a guy who's got one of the largest television networks in the world. And he, the reason he is so anti-God, he calls himself an agnostic, but he is anti-God he has said that his purpose in having one of the largest television networks in the world is to change the Judeo-Christian ethics 
of America. He hates Christianity. And it goes back to when he was a child, his sister, who he was very close to, got sick and died. And the Presbyterian church that he went to taught him that this was God's will. God had a purpose. And he, got, he says, if there is a God, I hate him. And that's what has occasioned this. And I guarantee you, there's been a lot of poison and pollution put into every person's life that's in this room through watching that television network. Sometimes subtly, you may not know what's happening, but there's a lot of anti-ungodly things happening because of people just like that who got soured on religion, who is telling them that God is the one that killed this person, that caused this tragedy, that made this baby be born, mongoloid, all of these kind of things, and they blame God for all of this kind of stuff. Man, if it's good, it's God. If it's bad, it's the devil. Amen. James chapter 1 says that. Every good and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights in whom is no variableness. You know what that means? That means it's no exceptions, no changes. It's always the same. There's no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempts he any man. James chapter 1. God is not the one who is doing these things to you. So it says, first of all, you got to be interceding, the Holy Spirit taking together with you. And if you're interceding, then we know that all things work together for good to them who love God. If you don't love God, it's not going to work together for good. And then it goes on to say to those who are called according to his purpose. What is his purpose? First John chapter three, I believe it's verse eight, says, for this purpose was the son of God manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. The purpose of Jesus is to destroy the works of the devil. That right there shows you that not everything is of God. Jesus is out to destroy the works of the devil. If Satan was really God's messenger boy, if he could only do what God lets him do, if he was on a leash, well, then Jesus would be out to destroy what God's doing because God would have the ultimate responsibility for it. God is not doing that. And, and things only work together for good if the Holy Spirit is interceding with you and you are seeking God, if you love God, and then if you are out to resist the devil and destroy the works of the devil. That's the purpose of God. Those three things. And if you are doing those three things, then everything will work together for good. That doesn't mean God caused it. That doesn't mean God did it. It just means that if you are seeking God with your whole heart, if you're resisting the devil, if you're loving God, operating in intercession, God will take anything the devil throws at you and work it together for good. But that's only for people that are passionate, seeking God, standing in the Word. Satan will fight you. I've had bad things happen to me. And many of them happen because of my own stupidity. It's not God that put me through my trials. You know, when Jamie and I first got started in the ministry, we didn't know hardly anything. I knew I was called to the ministry and I thought I would be sinning against God if I went and got a job because I was called to the ministry and I wasn't gonna work a secular job if I was called to the ministry. So I had a good heart and a bad head. And because of it, Jamie and I nearly starved to death for 10 years. We went through poverty and I, it took me so long to figure out that it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 that those that preach the gospel 
should live of the gospel. And he showed me it was proportional. When I was ministering to five people a week in a Bible study, I shouldn't have been expecting to live full time of the gospel. Paul made tents to supplement, but man, I'm just slow. It took me a long time to figure this out. And so anyway, we were having financial problems. They were my own making. But you know what? I loved God with all of my heart. I was resisting the devil. I was praying and interceding. And even though I had a dumb head, God brought me through it. And I've got testimonies by the thousands of how God miraculously supplied my needs. And you know what? I'm better off for it. But God didn't do it to me. I did that to myself. But God worked it together for good. God can take anything. He can take your mistakes and make something good out of it if you'll quit embracing them and saying, God, thank you for making me make this mistake. I know it was your will that I got a divorce. I know it was your will that I went and committed adultery. This couldn't have happened, but what? You allowed it. That's not true. That is not true. But you know what? You can learn through adultery. I was just with some people on television and they'd been married for 17 years and the woman went and had an affair. And it was an interracial marriage. She got pregnant. I mean, it was an interracial affair and she got pregnant and there was no way to hide the fact that it wasn't her child. The child was going to be a different color than her and her husband. And... Uh, so she fessed up and told her husband. And the husband, of course, it devastated him. But you know what? He forgave her and they kept the child and he named the child. He made that child his junior and they're raising that child, 12 years old now. And it was, a, it was not God. God did not cause that. But the man learned a lesson of forgiveness. The wife responded she loves that man so much now because of the way he responded to her and stuff. And they have a marriage ministry and they travel ministering to people. And this woman is one of the happiest people. She just smiles all of the time. And after she told me her testimony, I said, now I know why you smile. I said, man, what a blessing to have this man love you and forgive you and take this child and raise him at his own. And you know what? They've learned something and they are better off for it. God worked it together for good, but God didn't do it. And if they hadn't have loved God and if this man hadn't have prayed and interceded and let the power of the Holy Spirit come on him and if he hadn't have loved God and if they hadn't have destroyed the works of the devil, resisted the devil, that would not have worked together for good. It would have caused a divorce or something like that. God did not cause that situation. I hate this doctrine. This doctrine has misrepresented God and it's caused people to become passive. I've seen people who've lost... Uh, loved ones who died, who I prayed for them. And I believe it was God's will for them to be well, and yet they died. And I don't understand everything. Don't misunderstand me. I hadn't got it 100% figured out. I, don't, I believe it's God's will to heal every person because the Bible says it is. But I don't always see it work out that way. And so again, many people, because they see what happens, and then they see the Word, what they see their experiences are more real to them than what the Word is. And they interpret the Word in the light of their experiences. 
I tell you what you should do is interpret your experiences in the light of the Word. I don't always see everything work out perfectly, but I believe what the Word of God says. And I just have to say sometimes, I don't understand. If something's not working right, it's not God. It's me that missed it. And some people just can't do that. They can't admit that they miss it. They're so insecure that they can't, they can't believe. And so it's just easier to say, oh no, God has a purpose in this. No, there's lots of things that happen that it's not God's will. It's not God's will that the children of Israel went through 40 years in the wilderness. That happened because they rejected God and because of their own unbelief. The Bible says it was only 11 days journey from Egypt to the promised land. And yet it took them 40 years, not because God willed it. Well, He did eventually because of their unbelief. It was punishment. In the New Testament, we aren't going to be punished like that. All of God's punishment was placed upon Jesus. But they're the ones that chose that. They're the ones that rebelled at God. They're the ones that made their way bad. I guarantee you it's not God who's caused you to have all of these problems. And if you believe that, I tell you what, it's going to hinder you understanding the love of God. I've seen people die. Like I said, I've prayed for them. And I've had things myself. I had a a girl that I was unofficially engaged to die, and I prayed that she'd be raised from the dead, and she wasn't. And you know what? Everybody else involved said just, well, it must have been God's will. And I said, no, it wasn't God's will. And boy, they turned on me. What are you saying? Are you saying that God's not sovereign? And back at that time, I wasn't free to say that. I said, I don't know what I'm saying, but I know that God didn't kill this girl. And you know what? Because I didn't believe it was God, I just pressed harder. I went and found out what was wrong. I studied the Word until I found out. And my neighbor, years later, when I was living in an apartment in Lamar, Colorado, came down with the exact same disease. And instead of me saying, well, it must have been God's will, maybe it's God's will for you to die, I had learned what happened. And I hadn't got time to go into that, but we brought this on ourselves. We prayed for this, and because I'd learned the truth, I prayed for my neighbor who had leukemia, and they were healed, and they were raised up supernaturally. We had a woman right over here in uh, Sigaville, Texas, first little church I pastored, and this woman had a baby that was born uh, premature, and she was in... Um, I forgot what nation it was. It was Costa Rica or Guatemala, one of those. And uh, she had the baby in the taxi on the way to the hospital. And she was a real petite woman. And because of this, the baby was without air for a while. And they revived the baby, but it had brain damage and it had all kinds of problems. And uh, the doctors had told this woman that if the child ever got a cold or anything like that, it'd die because its immune system wasn't working. And so anyway, this baby was about four years old or something like that, and it came down with a cold, and it was struggling. I went over and prayed for this child for four hours, and uh, the child died in my arms as I was praying for it. And uh, when the police came, they nearly arrested us all, and they were able to produce a document from the doctors that says if they get a cold, just keep him at home. He'll die. There's nothing we can do. And just, you just, he's 
susceptible to stuff. And because of this doctor's report, they let us off the hook. But it was a bad situation and they asked me to do the funeral. So two days later, we did a funeral. And you know what I told them? I said, look, I don't know what to tell you. It's not God's will that your child died. I said, God did not kill your child. It's either my unbelief or maybe I just don't know. Maybe it's your unbelief. Maybe it's something that we don't know. But I tell you what, God did not kill your child. And I can tell you at that time, it would have been easy for me Rather than sit there and accept responsibility and say, I failed, you failed, we both failed, it would have been comforting to say, well, this is God's will. But it wasn't a truth. And so I told them the truth. And I said, look, it's either my fault, your fault, both of our faults. I don't know what it is, but God isn't the one that killed your child. And it was not a real positive funeral. But you know what? Because I told them the truth, they prayed and the Lord showed them some things and they had had fear and for four years they had been anticipating this. They had already planned the future. And God showed them a number of things that had happened. And the woman came to me about a month and a half or two months later and says, you know what, I know exactly why Satan was able to steal our child. And she gave me all of these reasons. And she says, he'll never do it again. And the doctors had told her she was such a small child, a uh, small woman that if she ever got pregnant again, they would have to take the child by cesarean and probably her and the child would die that they said, don't ever get pregnant again. You just aren't built to have children. But because I told this woman the truth, they had four more children and had them all natural childbirth at home because no doctor would allow her to do it. And when they graduated from college, she sent me their picture every time and said, thank you for telling me the truth. Amen. And I'm telling you, it's the truth that God is not the one who's caused your problems. God came to deliver you from this present evil world. You may not always see that deliverance, but it's not because God didn't will it. It's because we have a part to play. It's because other people have a part to play. We live in a fallen world and there is an enemy out there who's going about seeking whom he may devour. You don't have to be a sinner. You can be a person that loves God with your whole heart. You can be a very moral, good person, but you can still miss it and Satan can take advantage of us. We are in a fallen environment and bad things happen to good people, but it's not God who's doing it. Amen. And I go back to the very thing that the Lord told me just 10 days ago that, you know, God's raised me up to change people's opinion of him. People are blaming God for their hearts, heartache and their problems and submitting to them. And they may still be going through the motions and saying that they love God. But I guarantee you, it's hard to love a person who is just causing you pain after pain after pain. And that's a misrepresentation of God. If I was guilty of everything that God is accused of, there isn't a civilized nation on the face of the earth that wouldn't punish me. If I was guilty of everything that God... If, if you came and hugged me and I'm liable to give you cancer because I love you so much, you'd quit hugging me. 
If I was going to destroy your marriage because you need to learn a lesson. Man, if that's the kind of friend I was, there wouldn't be very many people who'd be friends with me. But this is so ingrained in our culture that we even write it in our contracts, you know, that you're insured voiding a act of God. And we blame God for hurricanes, for floods and all of these kind of things. God's not the one doing these things. God is not the one that's destroying you. And if you, if you understand that, just like this woman I was telling you about, it might hurt for a little bit to think that, you know, it's my fault that I've suffered. But it's the truth and the truth will set you free. And if you would come to grips with it and say, God, forgive me for not seeking you the way that I should. Forgive me for not responding to you the way that I should. And if you would seek the Lord, He would show you a way through. And you could come out of it. And you could not only be set free, but then you could go set other people free. Scripture says in um, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, it says, Unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. We quote that verse and say, God's able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think, period. And that's not true. It's according to the power that works in us. You have to cooperate with God to see His will come to pass. It doesn't come to pass automatically. It says in, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 8, He told us to go heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead. He didn't, there isn't any command for God where God told us to go pray for the sick. There's examples of it. It says, if you are sick, call for the elders of the church and they will pray over you, anoint you with oil, and the prayer of faith will save the sick. But God didn't command us to pray for the sick. He told us to command, He commanded us to heal the sick. And see, the average Christian is just saying, oh God, we know you can do all things. You have done nothing, but you could do it. And if it be your will, stretch forth your hand and heal this person. You aren't going to get healed that way. Somebody needs to take their authority and stand up and say, it is God's will. You, by your stripes, we were healed. You put this same power in me that raised Christ from the dead and I have death and life in the power of my tongue. So I speak to cancer and I kill you cancer in the name of Jesus. And I speak life over this body to regenerate. And unless somebody takes their authority and begins to start speaking, you aren't going to see the healing. It's not up to God whether you get healed. It's up to us. We are the ones that God has given this power to. And yet most people are, oh God, would you please heal this person? Acts chapter 3, Peter and John were going into the temple and they told that man who was lame from his mother's womb, he says, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I unto thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And they grabbed him by the hand and lifted him up. They didn't even pray a prayer. They never asked God to heal this man. They said, such as I have did you know that that'll get you kicked out of nearly any church in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex? I'm not saying it's my power. It's God's power, but it's in me and it's voice activated. And unless I begin to take my authority and speak to the problem instead of speaking to God about the problem, it's not going to happen. And there's multitudes of Christians who love God and they're good people and they're crying and begging God to move and to heal, but they aren't taking their authority 
They think, well, I would never be that arrogant to command God to do something. He's already done it. By His stripes we were healed. You aren't commanding God. He's already done it. He gave you this power and you are commanding the sickness to leave. You are releasing the power of God. See, this is one of the things that our prayer manual and one of the things that Ashley and, I mean, Carly and, and uh, Daniel teach is that, man, you have to take your authority. Instead of begging and asking God to heal, you stand and take your authority and you speak to the mountain not to God about the mountain, talk to the mountain about God and tell that mountain, that problem to get out of the way. You take your authority. But you can't do that if you think that this problem is from God. You would be rebuking God. And there's people, there's probably people right here in this room. I get criticized a lot over this thinking you're arrogant. It's not arrogance. It's actually humility. It's humility to sit there and go against what you see and feel sometimes and you just stand on the Word. And even though I don't, I don't have any power in myself, I have power in Christ on the inside of me. And it's faith. It's a statement of faith for me to stand and take my authority and resist the devil. Amen. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, it's not God's fault. If it was only up to God, if God was sovereign in the way that the religious realm talks about Him, that He just does whatever He wants and His will always comes to pass, then every person in here would be well, you'd be prosperous, you'd be full of joy, peace, and happiness. That is God's will for you. But none, not all of us are that way, not because God didn't will it, but because we got an enemy that fights against us. Many times we lose because of ignorance. Many times we lose because of sin and rebellion. We have cooperated with the devil. We load his weapon for him, and then he shoots us, and we blame God for it, but you gave him the ammunition. Sometimes It's just multitude of things. The atmosphere that you live in, can hinder you. That's why Jesus had to put out the unbelievers and separate them before he could raise Dorcas from, I mean, uh, uh, Jairus' daughter from the dead. Peter had to put people out to raise Dorcas from the dead. They sought seclusion because the unbelief of other people can affect you. There's just a multitude of things that happen. It's not just simple, but it is as simple as saying that God's will is for you to be blessed. He wants you to have an abundant life. That is God's will. And if you aren't living an abundant life, it's not God's fault. It's the devil. It's you. It's me. It's our society. It's lots of things, but it is not God's fault. And praise God, we can change those things as we seek Him, intercede, love God, and go to destroy the works of the devil, then whatever the devil throws at you will work together for good. Amen. Amen. My son died March the 4th, 2001. My oldest son called me and told me about it. Jamie and I prayed and believed God. And after he was dead for four hours in a morgue, stripped naked, on a slab, in a cooler, with a toe tag on, he just sat up and started talking. And he's totally normal today. I mean, as normal as he ever was. And I've got a little granddaughter that was born a year later. And all of that happened because I did not believe that it was God's will to kill my son. 
And I was able to stand and take my authority and rebuke and speak. And he came back because of that. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, we are accepting things and we're blaming it on God. And it's just not true. God is a good God. He died to deliver us from this present evil world. He wants His will done on earth as it is in heaven. And if it's not coming to pass, it's not God's fault. We need to cooperate with God. We need to take our authority. And if you really knew this, if you knew how good God's plans were, if you quit blaming God for your abuse when you were a child and for your, all of the stuff that's happened to you, God didn't do those things. If you would quit doing that and recognize God has a good plan for you. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end, a hope and a future is what the NIV says. God's plans for you are good. If your life isn't going good, it's because you aren't following God's plans. And you can change that. But you first of all got to quit drinking the Kool-Aid and you got to get hold of the Word of God and the truth will set you free. Amen? Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. So, Father, I share these things in the name of Jesus. I believe that the Holy Spirit will take these truths and help people who've submitted to things, who have yielded to things, who have tolerated, patiently put up with things that Satan is doing. And I'm praying that you use this to help them to get angry, to stir themselves up and resist the devil and refuse to allow the devil to steal, kill, and destroy anymore. Father, I thank you for that. Father, for people who have experienced tragedy and because of it, they've been hurt and they've taken comfort in the fact that you're the one that causes tragedy. I pray that in love, you would just help them to recognize that that is not you, that you can use it, they can learn things, they can benefit from it, but that, Father, you are not the one who caused the problems. Thank you, Father. I believe that you speak to people and help them to receive these truths. I plant these seeds in Jesus' name and believe that they will take root, that they will germinate, and that you will answer their questions and help them to recognize that you are not their problem. So, Father, we thank you for this. We receive this freedom in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. 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 You know, I want to give an invitation. We hope your heart has been quickened by hearing the Word of God through this message. It's the faithful support of people like you who make this ministry possible. We invite you to prayerfully consider becoming a partner with Andrew Womack Ministries. We maintain a website at awmi.net. Our helpline number is 719-635-1111, or you can write us at P.O. Box 3333, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80934. Until next time, we pray that you'll reach out by faith and receive everything that's yours through God's grace.